Before we begin with this week's episode of Nordic True Crime, we would just like to give a shout out to our new patrons. A big thank you to Andrea Miller, Terry, Ariel Milton, Tor Hansen, and Ohio Valley True Crime, which, by the way, is an excellent new podcast you should definitely check out. If you too would like to become a part of Nordic True Crime, then find us on patreon.com forward slash Nordic True Crime. Hollywood produces some of the most outlandish and out-there movie scripts imaginable. Today's case resembles one of these movies in more ways than one. In 1999, a series of brutal robberies took place in Sweden. The final robbery would culminate in a high-speed chase, a shootout and the execution of two men. This is Nordic True Crime. In the 1990s, in an attempt to offer prisoners something that would hopefully help them with their rehabilitation, one prison in Sweden, Tideholmsanstalten, started a theatre group. The inmates were given the chance to apply to be a part of the group. However, they struggled in finding a suitable play to perform, so one of the inmates came up with an idea. He sent a letter to the award-winning and well-known playwright, poet and director Lars Norén, whose plays are famous for being both realistic and revolving around broken personal relations. Nobody really expected a response from Lars, but he did reply asking to come to the prison to meet the inmates, which he did. Two of the men who were part of the theatre group were neo-Nazis, something which immediately caught Lars Norén's interest. One of these men was called Tony Olsson. He was currently serving time in prison for the conspiracy to murder Lars would have long conversations with him about when and why he became a Nazi, and he would use these talks as a foundation for his play, which he would write for the inmates. 
during the interviews between the playwright and the prisoners, a TV crew was present to make a documentary about the project. A famous actor called Reine Brunolfsson was brought in to play a fictional character with the inmates basically playing themselves. This meant that Tony Unson stood on stage inside the prison under the direction of a renowned and respected playwright whilst he discussed why he thought being a Nazi was a good thing. The play was named 7-3, which refers to the seventh paragraph and third chapter of the Kriminalvårdslagen, the Correctional Act concerning prisoners that are prone to hatching escapes. The original plan was that the play would be performed twice inside the prison and then the project would come to an end. But it caught the attention from Riksteatern, the Swedish National Touring Theatre, and they asked for the highly unusual project to be extended. They wanted the play to go on tour and to be performed in other prisons and also on the Riksteatern stage in Stockholm. And the request was approved. This now meant that all the inmates were transported from prison to prison around the country in order to perform the play. After the premiere, the public was outraged. The play was reported to the police by people who had been to see it. It was reported because some people believed it to be a hate speech disguised as a play. Lars Norén was forced to defend his play in the media. About a month before the rehearsals had started, and unknown to everybody, Tony had sent a letter to one of his associates, a man called Jacky Arklöv. He wrote in the letter that he wanted him to be a part of a militant national socialist movement that was in the process of being formed. He wanted Jackie to be in charge of the militant part of the organization. Jackie had been a part of the Foreign Legion and had also been fighting in Bosnia during the Balkan War until he was arrested in 1995 and convicted of war crimes. He had been accused of torturing civilians, some of which were pregnant women. But after a prison exchange, he was later released due to the lack of evidence and returned to Sweden. Together with another man called Andreas Axelsson, they formed a national socialist group that was highly inspired by the Irish terrorist group, the IRA.
throughout 1999, several armed robberies were carried out in Sweden. These robberies all had the same pattern. They were all violent and took place in areas that consisted of limited police presence. The getaway car was also always the same model, a stolen Saab 9000, each time. Initially, it was only small businesses and shops that were targeted, but the robbers soon moved on to bigger institutes who carried more money, such as post offices. It turns out that Jackie Arklöv, Andreas Axelsson and Tony Olsson were carrying out these robberies in order to fund their pro-Nazi organization. Tony is in fact carrying out the robberies whilst he is on leave from prison without anybody in the prison administration having a clue about what he is up to. On his 65th official leave on the 28th of May 1999, they decide to rob a bank. According to witnesses, Andreas and Yaki, whose faces were hidden with the aid of ski masks, entered the bank just before closing time and under the threat of being shot, order everyone to lay on the ground. One of the tellers, Panilla, is told to take them to the main vault and to open it for the men. She explains that it's got a time lock on it and that it won't be open again for another 15 minutes. Andreas then looked at his stopwatch and said that they would wait until the vault opens. Panilla, her colleagues and the customers were understandably terrified. 15 minutes is a very long time when you are waiting, even more so if you have a gun pointed at you the whole time. Some people were crying quietly, hoping that they would get out alive. On this day, Kenneth was the only officer present at the local police station, and when he arrived on the scene, he spotted Tony standing outside guarding the bank with an automatic weapon. Kenneth decides to stop and turn around to wait for backup, realizing that he can't intervene on his own. He stands just far enough back so that he can observe from a safe distance until his colleagues arrive. When the time lock opens, the robbers grab what they came for and leave the bank with almost 2.5 million Swedish crowns, which is roughly 214,000 British pounds or 288,000 American dollars in today's money. Kenneth decides that he can't let them escape, and so a high-speed car chase ensues. After chasing the robbers for a while, he turns a corner, and it is then he realizes he's been lured into a trap. 
the robbers had gotten out of their cars before turning the corner and are standing, waiting for Kenneth. And as soon as they see him, they open fire. Luckily, neither Kenneth or the car is hit. The robbers get back in their car and drive away. The pursuit continues. Kenneth decides to follow them from a safe distance this time in order to hopefully gather valuable information without getting too close. But the same thing happens again. This time, they hide and wait for Kenneth, hoping to lure him into yet another trap. Kenneth realizes that he has been tricked again, but this time, it is too late. He slams on the brakes and does his best to reverse the car away from the waiting gunman. But the car, by this time, has been showered with bullets and comes to a halt. All he can do is duck down behind the steering wheel, hoping that he can somehow avoid being shot. It all goes quiet. Kenneth hopes that they have driven away and decides to peek up over the dashboard, only to see the three men slowly walking towards him with their guns raised. He knows that he won't survive if he stays in the car, so he throws himself out of the door and runs as fast as he can across a large field. The robbers are shooting at him with their automatic weapons, and they even throw two hand grenades. Unbelievably, he manages to reach a ditch and is able to hide there until the robbers give up and drive away. Tony, Yaki and Andreas drive to where their second getaway car is parked and get in. Tony and Jackie both hide in the car whilst Andreas is driving because they know that by this time the authorities will now be looking for three people. One police patrol car that consists of police officers Olle Borén and Robert Karlström are sent to look for the green Saab which has been identified as the robber's getaway car. When they reach an area near a small village called Malexander, their radio cuts out. They are now in a radio blackout zone. This means that they have not been informed about the criminal's gunfire and grenade attack on Kenneth. If they had received this information, then the outcome of the pursuit of the gunman could have concluded completely differently. Ulle and Robert set up a roadblock and start to pursue a white Toyota for reasons unknown. All of a sudden, shots are being fired from the rear of the Toyota, hitting the police officer's car, showering them with bullets. 
Both Ulle and Robert didn't stand a chance against the robbers' automatic weapons. When backup arrives on the scene, they find both Ulle and Robert lying dead on the ground. The fatal shots had been fired from a close distance, one in the forehead and one in the neck. This was an execution. Andreas had been hit by one of the police's bullets, and they stopped a passing car along the road, demanding that he is driven to a hospital, which he is. He is soon arrested at the hospital, but he refuses to give any information on his accomplices. A massive manhunt is on for the two remaining robbers. Tony and Jackie hid the Toyota and were now trying to make their getaway on foot through a wooded area to get to the nearest town. It was there Tony called his fiance from a payphone, asking her to pick them up, which she does. A decision which will later cost her a year of her life in prison. On their way back, They are stopped at a roadblock, but the police don't realize who they are, so they are allowed to pass through and carry on with their escape. The next morning, Jackie boards a train to Stockholm, whilst Tony stays with his girlfriend. But Jackie doesn't exactly keep a low profile. He goes out drinking at the pub where he meets two women. They think that he's acting very strange and seems very confused. And the night ends with them driving him to the emergency psychiatric hospital before they drop him off at his hotel. Just three days after the murders, the police arrest Jackie. He was, at this time, unarmed, but was still shot in the back by the police during the arrest. The officer who fired the shots was charged for causing bodily harm, but was later found not guilty by the court. It doesn't take long before the name of the third robber becomes known, which is spread all over the media. Everyone is on edge, in for the hunt for Tony Olsson. One member of the public is on board a train when he spots Tony. The authorities are contacted, and soon the train is surrounded by police to evacuate the passengers, whilst the police helicopter is circling in the sky above, keeping watch. Tony was ordered out with his hands in the air and is brutally searched. 
unbelievably, it turns out not to be Tony Olsson. Instead, it was an innocent man who just happened to resemble him. The real Tony had fled the country and was by now in Costa Rica. But it wasn't long before he called a lawyer in Sweden, saying he wanted to return home. But he was worried about what would happen to him when he was arrested. So he demanded that his mother come to Costa Rica and accompany him home together with the Swedish police. His demand was granted. Tony, Jackie and Andreas all pled not guilty to the murders and they didn't really say much at all under questioning. However, when it becomes clear that one of the suspects was a part of the controversial theatre group in prison, new information begins to filter through. It turns out that Andreas Axelsson had been driving Tony between his performances and prison, which was not known by the prison officials. During these trips, they of course had all the time and opportunity possible to plan the future robberies in precise detail without anybody knowing. The prison officials are highly criticized and are accused of being so starstruck by the famous playwright Lars Norén that they neglected their security responsibilities. Lars, on the other hand, was being blamed for hiding from the media, not taking responsibility for his part in the whole thing. He may not be responsible for the murderer's actions, but showing sympathy towards what happened wouldn't go amiss. But in one interview, he explains that he feels really bad for the murdered police officers and that he wants to reach out and contact their families. They are still waiting for that phone call. In January of 2000, Tony Olsson, Jackie Arklöv and Andreas Axelsson are all convicted of murder. They couldn't prove who actually took the final fatal shots at close range, but it was considered to be the case that all three men had been shooting at Olle and Robert with the intention to kill them. Therefore, they should all be convicted of the murders and are in turn sentenced to life in prison. But the family and friends of Olle and Robert need to know who it was that actually fired those final shots and took their loved ones' lives. They need closure. In 2001, 
Jackie Arklöv claims that he wants to apologize to the people affected by the robbery and murders and says that if anyone wanted to meet him, he would be willing to do so. Nobody takes him up on the offer except for one person. The bank teller, Panilla. She had been in a bad way since the robbery, really struggling to sleep and to concentrate. So she thought it would maybe be good to meet Jackie in order to get some answers to her questions. A meeting was set up and they talked through what happened the day of the robbery and murder of the innocent police officers. Yaki said that he would name who executed the two men, but he is hinting that it was Tony that killed Ulle and Robert. Astonishingly, just two years after the murders, Yaki contacts his lawyer and gives a new version of events. According to him, after Andreas was hit by the police's bullets, Yaki helped him into the backseat of the Toyota. After quickly examining him, he realized that he was badly injured in the abdomen. So he goes back outside, picks up the police gun that had been dropped in the shootout, and walks over to the ditch where the injured Ulle is lying and shoots him in the neck. He then takes Ulle's gun and walks over to Robert and shoots him in the forehead. He gets back in the Toyota and Tony drives them from the scene of the crime. Yaki said that the reason as to why he came forward after all this time was because he watched a documentary about the murders which was aired on TV and when he saw himself sitting there lying about what had happened he decided he couldn't live with himself and decided to confess. However, this confession didn't change the verdicts because it was proven that they all had fired shots with the intention to kill so the three bank robbers' sentences remained the same. In 2004, an inmate at one of the most heavily guarded prisons in Sweden, called Hall, was heard calling out for help. Two of the prison guards answered his calls for help, but when they got to his cell, he held up a smuggled gun, aiming it at the guards, telling them to unlock his door. They are also forced to let three other prisoners out of their cells, one of them being Tony Olsson. They then lock up one of the guards and use the other one as a hostage while moving towards the main gates of the prison. On the outside, two associates are waiting for them with a getaway car and several firearms. Shots are fired, 
but the four of them manage to escape. Tony manages to stay on the run for 48 hours until the police finally arrest him. He had been hiding in the woods and was both injured and exhausted at the time of his arrest. In 2006, Jacke Arklöv is eventually convicted for crimes against humanity for his role during the Balkan Wars. He was, at that time, the first person in Sweden to be convicted of this type of crime. In 2016, he was moved to another prison when it became clear that he had a forbidden relationship with an employee in the prison, which was obviously considered to be a massive safety risk. Not long after the move, he was attacked by inmates and was beaten badly. Nobody has ever been charged for this assault. Andreas Axelsson met a woman and in 2002 they got married in the chapel in the prison where he is serving his sentence. They received conjugal visits where they could spend 24 hours together in a specially built room. And in 2003 she gave birth to their son. But just a year later the marriage started to fall apart and the woman fell in love with, unbelievably, Tony Olson. They started to exchange love letters up until the point when Tony realized who she was and he then broke all contact with her. She was distraught and sent Tony a letter saying that she had to kill Andreas and their son because she thought they were standing in the way of her and Tony's future. She attached a photo of her son where she had made holes where his eyes were and wrote on the back, little NN, who soon will be dead. Due to safety regulations, the prison guards read all the incoming mail and they immediately contacted the police, who arrested the woman for threatening behavior, but she was later released. After the divorce from Andreas was finalized, she poisoned herself and their son with medicine she was taking, which is usually used for the treatment of schizophrenia. They both survived, and she was moved to a specialist treatment home but the woman later set her room on fire, which landed her in prison for assault and arson. After the murders of the police officers, new routines were implemented in prisons, meaning tougher restrictions for the inmates 
and the cutting in half of prison leave. The routines for the police force have also changed so that they were better equipped to deal with similar incidents in the future. Tony Olsson, who now goes by the name Tony Byström, claims to have turned his back on his neo-Nazi beliefs and says that he is now a Christian. He claims to have completely changed as a person and has applied several times to have his sentence converted to a determined amount of years. Jacky Arklöv and Andreas Axenson have also applied for this, but like Tony, the requests have been refused. In the meantime, the friends and family of Ole Borén and Robert Karlström are still trying to handle their loss of their loved ones. At the time of the murders, condolences for both Ole and Robert were pouring in from all over the country. Even the local alcoholics in the town had sent flowers because of the many times the police officers had helped them in their time of need. Robert's mother, Astrid, was determined to not let people forget about her son and fought to have two memorial rocks placed at the site where both men were brutally executed. She had read a prepared statement during the trial and said it made her feel a bit better to let everybody know about the pain her son's family and friends had been suffering from. Astrid has since been out speaking in schools about the consequences of neo-Nazism, doing what she can to prevent anybody turning to this destructive, outdated belief. She's doing what she can to handle her grief and has gradually learned to live with it over the years. But nothing can ever fill the dark hole of living to see your child die before you do, especially in such brutal circumstances. Did you not get a clip that was long enough for the promo? Oh, you know what? You know what? Fuck it. We're trash talent. That's a fair point. This is a podcast for people who like trash. And 
We are trash. And we like to talk about all things macabre, witchy, true crime, and anything else our little haunted hearts fancy. So join us for new episodes every Wednesday. Tune in to The Haunted Heart wherever you listen to podcasts. And And as as always, always, stay spooky. Hello all, I'm Paul, creator and host of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. I've been a crime buff for many years now, and my enthusiasm has led its way here. If you fancy each week delving into some obscure, but in-depth and often disturbing true crime tales from the shores of the UK, plus you don't mind the northern accents and the down-to-earth manner, then why not come have a nosy? The show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. So it'd be great if you guys could come and have a look-see and I hope you can subscribe today. I'd love you to join me and I look forward to seeing you there too. See if you can become enthusiastic about the True Crime Enthusiast podcast.